Has everyone seen the movie Christmas Story? Everybody? Ralphie and the Christmas Story? Well, if you remember the story, it's about a little boy named Ralphie, and he's probably 10, 11, 12 years old. And the whole story is based around the fact that he, it's Christmas time, obviously, because of the name of the story, set in the 40s, and he is expecting for Christmas this official Daisy Red Rider BB gun. That's all he can think about. The whole story is about that. <clears throat> but there's a scene in the movie where Ralphie has sent away for an official little orphan Annie decoder ring. And he just can't wait till he gets it. And he just he's just so excited and so much anticipation that he can't wait. And then the day comes and he gets it. And if you remember the scene, he runs in the house and runs up the stairs and runs in the bathroom, slams the door and he sits on the toilet. And he's he's deciphering the secret message and he's spelling out the letters and and he starts to read it and it says drink more Ovaltine. <laughs> and he says, "What a rip off." You know, it's another advertisement and he is let down, he's disappointed. Very much so. His expectations of this secret ring were just shot to pieces. <clears throat> That's kind of what I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about this morning is disappointments. And you know, disappointment is a, uh, it's a huge part of all of our lives. It's things that many times we just cannot avoid. You know, maybe uh, your team loses the big game. Or maybe uh, you've been passed over at work for a promotion or something a little less heart heartening. You go to the store at a big sale and they never have the size. They never have your size. That's disappointing, isn't it? <clears throat> or maybe you've had this vacation and you've planned it for months and the day before, your car breaks down. Or maybe uh, you've got a big weekend plan, you wake up Saturday morning and you're sick. Simple things. Sometimes they seem minute, sometimes very distressing. You know, we all will experience those types of disappointments throughout our lives. There's no age limit. There's no exemptions. We can't hide. And you know, many of these will come due to absolutely nothing we have done on our own. It just happens. <coughs> Excuse me. The Christian Dictionary defines disappointment as the failure of expectation, whether that's your expectation of yourself or your expectation of someone else. And it also defines it as an unhappiness caused by seeing your hopes unfulfilled. And you know, I would venture to say that there isn't anyone here this morning that would raise their hand and say they enjoy being disappointed. I just don't think there'd be anybody that would say that. I've kind of found a way that we can avoid some of that disappointment. 
That's my little secret. I'm just not going to get my hopes up. I'm just not going to have any expectations. If I don't have any, I can't be let down, right? <clears throat> I don't want to lose the game. So you know what? I won't play. I don't want mishaps on my vacation. I just won't go. You know that promotion at work? I just won't work very hard because then I won't even be considered and I can't be let down. If I don't participate, then I can't be let down. But you know, you can still be disappointed from the stands. But it's nothing like that feeling that you get when you've given it all, you've, you've done the best you can, you've worked so hard, and you still lose. It's just not enough. And it would be easier to stay in the stands and watch. That sounds safe enough. One slight problem with that. I don't believe that God wants us in the stands. And maybe sometimes. But He wants us in the game. And this game is life. He wants us in the game of life. He doesn't want us to be a spectator. He wants us out there working hard, being honest. He wants us to teach. He wants us to preach. He wants us to coach and to lead and to train. And he wants us learning. He wants us to have great expectations. He wants our hopes to be high. And when I was thinking about this, <coughs> excuse me, I thought about Calvin and Hobbes. Does anyone remember Calvin and Hobbes? It used to be in the newspaper. There's a strip where Calvin and Susie are sitting in class, and Calvin says, Psst, Hey, Susie, what'd you get on your math test? And she says, I got an A. And he proudly says, well, I got a C minus. And then he looks at her and says, I feel sorry for you. And she says, What in the world do you mean you feel sorry for me? And he said, Well, I find that if I keep everyone's expectations of me lower, it makes my life a lot easier. <clears throat> and you know, there's people that live that way. But you know, as a Christian, we're called to live life. Jesus said he came not just to give us life, but to give us a more abundant life. But along with that more abundant life comes more opportunities unfortunately, that we'll have to be disappointed. <clears throat> so, maybe instead of trying to avoid the disappointment, we should focus on how to deal with it. You know, disappointment can be just a fleeting emotion over a temporary loss. 
or it may hit us right between the eyes. It may hit us so hard due to something that really changes our lives permanently. And you know, feeling, feeling disappointed or feeling disappointment in itself is not a sin. But how we deal with it or how we handle it is the crucial issue here. It's not the disappointment, it's what we do with it. And you know, when you look through Scripture, it's not hard to find examples of disappointment. Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. It's not hard to find. But what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to look at two specific Old Testament figures. Some of the disappointment they experienced, some of the way they handled it, and then maybe compare how we should handle situations in life that we're going to come across. And the first one I wanted to look at was Moses. And we know the story of Moses. Moses was born, he was a Hebrew, and he was born at the time that the Hebrews were in bondage, they were in captivity to the Egyptians. And even worse than that, he was born at a time when Pharaoh was trying to lean so to speak, the Hebrew population back. He was afraid they were getting too big. So he was killing all the male-born babies. Well, Moses' mother was a, a smart lady, and she decided that she was going to save Moses. And, of course, she takes him to the river where Pharaoh's daughters are bathing, and she puts him in the basket and floats him out there, and, of course, they find him. Now, Pharaoh's daughter can't nurse Moses because she wasn't the one that had him. So they have to find someone to nurse him. So he ends up back with his mother. And during that time, it doesn't really say how long he was there, but it says Moses' mother took the child, nursed him, and he grew. So we know that he spent some time. He had time to be there and to have some of his... Hebrew heritage ingrained in him. So Moses knew of his heritage. And in Hebrews 11.24, it even says that when Moses became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But you know, as he was raised in Pharaoh's house, he became very aware of all the injustice that was being done to his people. And there's a story in Exodus where he decides one day he's going out to see the injustice done to his people. And that's when he comes across the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. And the story says he looked around, didn't see anybody, and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Well, the next day he goes back and sees two Hebrews fighting, and he confronts them and says, what are you guys doing? Why are you fighting? Why are you beating each other? And the one says, you know, who are you to judge us? What are you going to do? Kill me like you did the Egyptian and bury me in the sand? And of course that took Moses by surprise. He wasn't expecting that. Well then the word travels around and gets to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh decides that he's going to kill Moses. And Moses flees to Midian. <coughs> Moses thought that what he was doing with the Egyptian was a good thing. 
he thought that the Hebrews would be appreciative of what he'd done. And that wasn't the case. Now, Moses, for a long time in his heart, had a desire to help his people. Years before God actually called him, he felt the need to help his people. Now, here he was, out of Egypt, on the outskirts of the desert, tending sheep for about another 40 years. And do you think Moses was a little disappointed about that? I would say so. There's two reasons why Moses was disappointed. The first was he was disappointed in people because he had expectations that his people would understand and trust him, and they didn't. And you know that same thing happens to us. If we put our hope and our expectations in other people, we're going to be let down. You know, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever done something for someone that you thought was really a good thing, only to have it backfire? I can remember a couple of instances very quickly. One time I was walking into a store, I don't even remember what store it was, and there was a lady walking up behind me. And I did as I always do. I stepped aside and I opened the door. To which she promptly stopped in her tracks and looked at me and said, I can open the door for myself, thank you very much. And I said, okay. So I walked in and let her open the door for herself. And there was another time when I was working at at the auto dealership a long time ago, there was one of the gals in the office that came back to my department for whatever reason, and I made the stupid comment of, you know, you look nice today. To which she replied, as opposed to what I look like every other day, (coughs) I can't win. So, you know, people are going to disappoint us. Sometimes even the ones uh, we love the <coughs> we love the most. And, you know, second for Moses was he was disappointed in his circumstances. Remember the first four years of his life or so he was living in Pharaoh's house, and he experienced everything that came along with that, all the grandeur. And. I believe he really felt that his position in Pharaoh's household was going to give him a leg up on helping his people, on helping them get out of the bondage, some influence over Pharaoh. And now, again, here he is, living in the desert, tending sheep, not quite the same position. And I really don't think that was Moses' plan, but it was God's plan. God was in control. Remember, Mike talked last week about God being in control. God's in charge. And what looked to Moses like possibly the end was really, for him, just the beginning. Not only was it the beginning of his deliberation of the people, but it was also just the beginning of his disappointment as well. And if you remember the stories, I'm not going to go through all of it, but it was like the next 40 years was just an emotional roller coaster. The people were finally free. And instead of being satisfied 
What did they do? They complained constantly. <clears throat> you remember when, first of all, when Moses, um, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, and, and God told him what he wanted him to do, you know, instead of Moses saying, okay, he was so discouraged and disappointed that he argued with him and said, no, I don't think so. You know, you don't really want to send me. He was so disappointed in what already happened that he wasn't going to listen to what God had for him. He said, I don't communicate well. And God said, don't worry, I'll, I'll tell you what to say. I'll put the words in your mouth. He's trying to encourage him, lift him up. And you know, we will have friends do that for us too, that will encourage us and lift us up. Maybe a, a phone call or something like that, but, but that will happen. We'll get those encouraging messages. Do you know Moses had let the previous disappointments in his life dictate not only the current situation he was in, but his future as well. He didn't want to participate in the game. He wanted to be a spectator. He wanted God to send someone else. God said, no, that's not my plan. But we know he did. He did listen to God. He did go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finally did let the people go, but not before. He made it very hard for them, very difficult on them, of which they blamed Moses for. But again, once they were finally set free and, they were, and they, were, they were gone, they still weren't happy. They still complained. And you know, you would think that these people would be grateful and joyful because, and that they'd be willing to do whatever they could because they're headed to the promised land. That's not what they did. All they did was complain. And you can imagine Moses' discouragement or his disappointment. And I'm really sure he was probably just plain worn out with all this. He, he was just tired of all the nonsense. In fact, listen to what he says in Numbers 10, verses 14 through 15. He says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, Please kill me here and now, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. That's pretty drastic. But you know, that's what disappointment, that's what discouragement, that's what despair can do to us. That's how it can make us feel. It steals our joy. You know, it robs us of our hope. It can just plain take away our will to keep on going. You know, God recognizes our stress. <coughs> and he recognized Moses's. He knew what was going on. And what did he do? He sent 70 elders to help Moses deal with the people, take some of that pressure off of him. And he'll do that for us, too. I mentioned it a minute ago, maybe a, a phone call, an encouraging phone call from a brother or sister or a, a good friend or a card in the mail that makes you smile or, or maybe a, you read a story that makes you laugh or just something that lightens your burden just a little bit. Moses experienced despair in these situations basically the entire time he was leading the Israelites to the Promised Land the entire time. 
It would seem like one right after the other. But you know what really had to be the worst ultimate letdown for him? What happened when they got to the promised land? He couldn't go in. He was not allowed to go in. After everything that he'd been through, he was kept out. He never saw what he'd struggled for so long to see. And when you read that, you just want to go, Whoa, wait a minute, it just doesn't seem fair. I'm going to cry foul here. There's something wrong with this situation. But you know, Moses, in a way, was not that different than, than you and I in the fact that God gave him a job, gave him a task to complete, and he's given us, he's given each one of us a task, a job to complete, and they all look different, and probably not quite as significant as Moses's, but important nonetheless. And God knows that, like Moses's disappointments, we'll have them as well. But we have to remember that Moses, again, wasn't afraid to call on God for help, and neither should we. In fact, Scripture says that we should come boldly before the throne. Jesus told us to bring our burdens and lay them at his feet. So we, we need to stay in the game. We need to be in the game. And we can't let a few bad passes or maybe a few missed shots keep us from shooting. I heard someone say one time that you'll miss every shot that you don't take. And that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. We need to stay in the game. We just need to participate. The next figure I wanted to take a look at briefly this morning is David. You remember the story of David? When he was a teenager, God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint him to be the next king of Israel. God had already rejected Saul. He'd already told him that he was not going to be the, the king and none of his sons were going to be. And David's victory over Goliath at that time really propelled him into the limelight or the spotlight, if you want to say. It made him a hero. His popularity soared with the people. I remember when he came, they were singing and dancing. Saul even made him a military commander. And the future looked pretty bright for David, not for Saul. In fact, Saul's fear and jealousy grew as long as David's popularity did. Saul decided that he's going to thwart God's plan and kill David. So, David now is on the run, and he's fleeing from Saul for about 10 years. <clears throat> and you know, during this time, he was so discouraged and so disillusioned and so disappointed that consequently he did some things that were very foolish and very sinful. He let his fear and resentment replace his faith in God. 
And if you remember the story in, in 1 Samuel, David flees of all places to Gath, to, to the to king of Gath, Achish. And remember, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. He was their hometown hero, and David goes to there for refuge. And the land of your enemies. And this wasn't that long after he'd killed Goliath. And that just doesn't sound to me like the very best place that he could have gone for refuge. But that's where he went. And of course, while he's there, some of Achish's servants recognize him and say, Hey, that's David. And so what does he do? He pretends that he's insane. The scripture says he scratches on the gate like an animal, and he drools all over himself. And when the king sees him, he says, That can't be David. Look at this guy. This is the same man who said, When you face Goliath, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The same guy. Circumstance is a little different. Now he's disillusioned. Now he's discouraged. Now he's disappointed. He's frustrated. David was letting his circumstances interfere with his faith and trust in God. And that, again, can certainly happen to us. Disappointment can be that first little seed of doubt that intrudes upon our faith. And it tries to choke out our trust. And you know, we could say, well, David was only trying to save his life, which in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. But what he was doing was leaving God out of the equation. He was not keeping God in the picture here. He was falling back on his own initiative and his own intuitiveness, and it wasn't working out very well for him. And again, sometimes that's where we go wrong. You know, we may feel at times that God's forgotten us. He had to have, right? I mean, why would this situation be like it is? If he knew what was going on, why would it be like this? He'd fix it. He'd make it right. He'd do something about it. And when that doesn't happen fast enough for us, we try to fix it ourselves. We try to come up with a way. We try to, whatever that looks like, we try to fix it. David wavered between his discouragement and his faith, like we all do. He didn't always understand God's timing. And think about that. He didn't understand why he was running for his life. He's running for his life from this king whom he had always been loyal to. Always. He'd never done anything to this king but be loyal 
but running to his enemies, that was not the right solution. And you know, many times God's way of doing things for us is difficult. If he'd only follow my schedule, you know, if he's only more cooperative, then I wouldn't even have doubts or disappointments, right? You know, the truth is that we need our faith and trust to be the strongest during those times when we don't understand what God's doing. And like David, despite all the lapses that he had throughout his life, God did exactly what he had promised he would do for him. By the time he was 30 years old, he was sitting on the throne. He was the king. And about that same time, he wrote uh, the 18th Psalm. And verses 1 through 3 read like this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That doesn't sound to me like someone who's doubting God's abilities or God's plan. David went from hero to hunted to hero. And he felt the sting of God, <clears throat> excuse me, he felt the sting of disappointment many times in his life. But you know, God never gave up on David. And he won't give up on us. And you know, it's easy to look back and praise God for what he's already done. But it, it takes true faith and trust to look forward, to look ahead and believe by what we can only see by looking back, if that makes sense. You know, a few minutes ago I said I had a way of avoiding disappointment. That was a cynical way, obviously, or a sarcastic way. But there is a way, there is a solution or an antidote, basically, to this virus or this illness of disappointment, if you want to call it. Two words, give thanks. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. Everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult it may seem, no matter what trouble may be in our lives, we can always find something to be thankful for. First and foremost, we should be thankful that we're the children of God. We should be thankful God sent Christ to die on the cross to atone for our sins. Again, God knows everything we're going through. And we need to be thankful that He has the power to make these 
difficult things work for good in our lives. And there has um, been a verse that's been running through my head a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I have to remind myself, it doesn't say that they're going to work out the way I want them to. It's God's way. We need to thank God for his presence in our lives. We need to thank him for the blessings that he provides. And no matter how difficult these circumstances are, God has not forgotten us. And you know, if we get to the point where we feel like there's nothing left but God, then maybe we'll realize that that's enough. You know, Habakkuk understood this. And in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he wrote, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Mike taught a few weeks ago about joy and how joy and happiness are two different things. And happiness basically is a direct response or result from our circumstances. We can take joy in so much that we can't find happiness in. closing this morning, I wanted to just read a real quick little story. In 1992, in the Olympics in Barcelona, a young man named Derek Redmond of Great Britain was running toward his dream of winning a gold medal in the 400-meter race. I mean, you may remember this. You may have seen it. I don't know. But less than halfway through the race, he tore his hamstring, and he went sprawling on the track, an obvious pain. Yet, he managed to stand upright. And then it says, in agonized determination, he began hopping and hobbling down the track toward the finish line. And it says, suddenly, a stocky older man came out of the stands, pushed through the security guards. That man was his father. <clears throat> his father went to him, threw his arm around his son, and began to help him the remaining 250 meters or so to the finish line. And it says, the crowd stood and cheered the emotional-filled sight. Such was the love of the Father for his Son. Such is the love of our Heavenly Father for us. 
sometimes God wants us, not sometimes, God always wants us in the game. Sometimes he'll come down out of the stands to help us finish the race. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. And Father, I know that I'm not an island here. I'm not alone in disappointments or disillusion or discouragement. Father, Scripture is full of disappointment in your people. And I know that you have been disappointed in your people many times as well, and in me. Lord, I also know that your love for us is unconditional. I know that you want us to succeed. You want us to win this game of life. It doesn't have anything to do with monetary success. It doesn't have anything to do with popularity. Lord, it has all to do with loving and serving you and accepting Christ as our Savior and allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell in us and give us hope and give us strength and give us the necessary things we need to survive in this difficult world. Lord, thank you again for the amazing way you respond to us in our time of needs. We love you. Father, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.